Get ready for a one-of-a-kind experience. Welcome, welcome to the Starter Zone, your home for the weekly news from around the world. Your host for this journey, Amanda. Do you want to build a snowman? She's going to bring you everything you need to hear about entertainment, gaming, and maybe just a little bit bizarre. Hold tight, because here she comes. Oh, thank you so much, Raven, for that warm, warm welcome. Good news. We uh, we need some warmth right now. Hello there, my friends. Good day to you all. And thank you for joining us here at the Starter Zone. I am your host, Amanda. Things got a little bit busy this last week for some sports news. And like I said, it's that time of year for coaching changes. And this year got pretty major. Lots of prolific names in the news. Well, today is the 18th of January. Let's take a look at some of the headlines we're going to be covering. Music legend Michael Bolton had a major health scare. Nike has a sponsorship update. Lots of football coaching shakeups as Black Monday continues. ESPN got caught being really naughty. We had some movie set bad behavior, a YouTuber that's been arrested, some nasty, nasty layoffs, our box office breakdown, and more. Get comfy and warm, my friends. Let's get started. Let's kick things off with the music news. So Michael Bolton is a very well-known name in the music scene. Bolton performed in the hard rock and heavy metal genres back in the 1970s. And then he did that all the way up to like the mid-90s. And both on his early solo albums and those he recorded as the frontman of the band Blackjack. But he really became better known for the series of pop rock ballads recorded in this really stylistic change back in the late 1980s through the 90s. And one of his most well-known was the 1991 cover of Percy Sledge's When a Man Loves a Woman. That's a good classic sound there. Well, now it's been announced that Bolton is recovering from a very serious medical procedure. When the Man Loves a Woman singer, 70 years old, announced on Instagram he recently underwent surgery to remove a brain tumor. He said, just before the holidays, it was discovered that I had a brain tumor which required immediate surgery. Thanks to my incredible medical team, the surgery was a success. I am now recuperating at home, surrounded by the tremendous love and support of my family, unquote. The Grammy winner currently has numerous tour dates set for the first half of 2024, but he's expecting to have to postpone a lot of them as he's re- continuing to recover. He said, for the next couple of months, I will be devoting my time and energy to my recovery, which means I'll have to take a temporary break from touring. 
and it's always the hardest thing to postpone a show and have no doubt I am working hard to accelerate, accelerate my recovery and get back to performing soon. Bolton then went on to thank his fans for their positivity and their dedication and he said I'm beyond grateful for all the love and support you have so generously shown me through the years and know that I am keeping your positive messages in my heart and I will give you more updates as soon as I can, unquote. That's a really incredible update. I have known many people who have had brain tumors and it, it really can go either way. So uh, we definitely wish him the best. That's a, that's kind of a scary thing, but glad to hear he's, he's recovering and that things are going well. I mean, I've always, I've always actually enjoyed his music. You know, he had that long kind of wavy blonde hair thing going on, but you know what one of my favorite songs from his was? Have a listen. I'll be there someday. I can go the distance. I will find my way. If I can be strong, I'll know everybody will be to me this was like peak disney imagine this this movie um hercules this took place back in 1997 and this was the time when disney was using a lot of pop stars for their movies so you had michael bolton do the go the distance for hercules we had phil collins doing tarzan and brother bear we had elton john doing lion king music i mean this was this was peak and this was the time when like if you were in a high school choir chances are you were doing some sort of Disney medley at this point. And I do distinctly remember my high school choir. We did uh, go the distance. We did the entirety of that song for a spring concert one year. Um, I want to say it was like spring of 98 or something like that, but fun times, good memories there. So, you know, best wishes to Mr. Bolton. We, we definitely don't want to lose that voice anytime soon. Back in July of 2023, Bolton actually did release his first album of original songs in 14 years, which was called Spark of Light. And he also competed as the wolf in the Masked Singer show and was eliminated in the fourth episode of season nine. All right, guys, let's go ahead and check out some sports news. Speaking of the late 1990s, let's go back to 1996. Tiger Woods is making his professional golf debut, and he's doing a press conference, and he greets the audience with this. I guess, hello world, huh? Such a simple little greeting. I mean, everybody kind of knew who Tiger Woods was at this point. He just wasn't on the pro circuit yet. Now, two days after this press conference, Nike launched the Hello World campaign promoting Tiger Woods. And Woods, well, yeah, he lived up to the hype. Within eight months of this, he already had four wins, including that watershed Masters victory that made him the first golfer of Black Heritage to win a major. Now, fast forward 27 years later. No, guys, sorry, no panicking. Tiger's not retiring just yet. But the partnership with Nike, yeah, that one's coming to an end. Woods ended months of speculation by making it official that the partnership between golf's largest star and that powerful swoosh brand is ending. 
and it's a move that raises questions about the future of both in the sport of golf. Woods said in a social media post that he thanked Nike co-founder Philip Knight for his passion and vision that brought them together when he turned pro. He said, quote, over 27 years ago, I was fortunate to start a partnership with one of the most iconic brands in the world. And the days since have been filled with so many amazing moments and memories. And if I start naming them, I could go on forever. Now, Nike also posted to social media and said in a photo, it was a hell of a round, Tiger. Tiger, you challenged your competition, stereotypes, conventions, the old school way of thinking. You challenged the entire institution of golf. You challenged us and most of all yourself. And for that challenge, we are grateful, unquote. Woods signed a five-year deal worth $40 million when he turned pro. I didn't know it was that much. It was a pretty shockingly high amount of money at the time to most in the industry except Nike and Tiger's dad. Chump change, said the late Earl Woods, and he was proven correct because Woods renewed their deal. It was believed to be over, I think it was over $100 million in 20, or 2001 is when the renewal came up. And the eight-year deal in 2006 was reported to be worth $160 million, and then he re-signed in 2013 for a reported $200 million. As recognizable as just about any athlete in the world, Woods became the face of Nike Golf and even had his own TW brand within Nike. On the golf course itself, I mean, Woods set records. He was the youngest to win the Grand Slam at age 24, the only player to hold all four major, major titles at the time. He had a 15-shot win at the U.S. Open, which was the largest margin for a major in golf history. But there were signs in recent years of a fractured relationship. Woods has had a little bit of a tumultuous history in recent years. He returned from his 2021 car crash that shattered bones in his right leg by wearing foot joy shoes, uh, saying it was a better feel considering his injuries. And Woods has stayed in them, despite, you know, Nike has a long history making shoes. Um, even until the, he played last month with his son in the PNC Championship, he was still wearing those. And when asked about his deal with Nike, Woods replied, I, you know, I'm still wearing their product. And he repeated that phrase when he was asked if, you know, if the Nike deal was coming to an end. Hey, I'm still wearing their stuff. I'm still wearing their stuff. Woods has had 15 major victories. But he has slowed in recent years because of five back surgeries, uh, shattered ligaments in his rebuilt left knee, the 2021 car crash, and honestly, age age gets us a, a lot. I mean, he turned 48 at the end of last year. Nike has stood by Tiger, even when his personal life imploded back in 2009. Y'all remember this? He had uh, some extramarital affairs come forward, and then... His schedule had to be greatly reduced because of his leg injuries and back injuries. But he returned from fusion surgery back in 2019 and won his uh, fifth green jacket at the Masters. Now, for their part, Nike is showing signs of slowing its golf business. I mean, they decided to get out of the hard good business back in 2016, meaning they quit play making clubs and golf balls. So Woods had to change to a different brand. Meanwhile, Nike also said in a recent earnings call that they plan to cut $2 billion over the next three years, which raises eyebrows and questions about how much it would remain invested in golf anyway. Now, Woods has been off optimistic that he's going to be able to play at least once a month this coming year in 2024, 
and he will likely get started at the Genesis Invitational in Los Angeles next month in February. Moving over, let's go to college ball. All right, time to be a little more honest about some stuff. I live in an area where college ball is like is like a second religion. Sorry, I've never been an Alabama fan, but I have so many, many family members who are. My Facebook blows up every time the Crimson Tide plays. And those cousins and aunts and uncles are currently in mourning. And I really wish I was kidding. My mom laughed at this when I mentioned it because she knows exactly who I was talking about. Alabama head coach Nick Saban has decided to retire after 17 seasons with the Alabama Crimson Tide. The 72-year-old sat down with Reese Davis for SportsCenter and cited his age as the determining factor. Even though the mental grind of this season weighed on him, he actually almost came back. But Saban confirmed reports that he went around Tuesday like a normal day, interviewing coaches and you know, potential new staff members. But during a team meeting back on Wednesday the 10th, he informed his team that he was retiring. At 3.55 p.m., he was actually still deciding which way that speech would go. Saban didn't feel like he could really offer a guarantee that he would still be working for four more years, which was something that he expressed on the Pat McAfee show less than a week before retiring. For the coach, the recru- recruiting, you know, the scheming and organizing was just simply taking a toll. But he did make a point to dispel multiple rumors implying otherwise. He said, quote, there is no illness. Miss Terry is fine and I'm fine. Miss Terry is his wife, by the way, uh, 52 years fantastic he said quote when I was young, when I was young you know I could work until two in the morning and get up at six and be there the next day and be full of energy and go for it but when you get a little older it gets a little tougher and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to that unquote yes yes I can relate I remember those 2 a.m. mornings I don't miss it he ends his career at Alabama with six national titles and a 206 to 29 overall record he also won a national title with LSU back in 2003. I actually forgot he was a Tiger once upon a time. Saban conceded that some people are frustrated with some aspects of college football's new age, and adding that he navigated the changes and he adapted uh, in this new era and saw some, uh, some of the success. But aside from it all, he realized it was, it was time. It was time to hand over the reins. Saban has apparently been very hands-on with the search to replace him, so... You know, that should make some fans feel better that his successor will have his approval. And they didn't have to wait long. Washington's Kalen DeBoer, who guided the Huskies to a Pac-12 championship and a spot in the college football playoff national championship game this past season, was just named the next head coach at Alabama. Washington Athletic Director Troy Dannon made a very aggressive pitch to keep DeBoer with a new contract that would have made him one of the 10 highest paid coaches and more than doubled the annual salary of $4.2 million. But DeBoer turned it down for Alabama and the SEC, meaning he will owe Washington uh, a $12 million buyout after signing a two-year contract extension through the 2028 season back in November. Roster retention, that is going to be a huge number one priority. 
mass exodus of players to the portal could be pretty crippling, especially since the ability to backfill won't happen again until the portal reopens for non-graduates coming up in the spring. I think they've already lost one player that has committed to Bama. But even then, most of the big names have already made their moves. But And, and setting it aside these immediate concerns, far and away, DeBoer's biggest challenge is going to just be expectations. Not just the wins and the losses, but... I mean, look, let's be realistic. He's going to be constantly compared to Saban and how Saban did things. Bama fans are going to be very critical, and I'm hoping that he has the skin. But good news, though, Saban's not completely going away. His role and presence will be with the entire university and not just the football program. He actually is going to re- uh, keep an office at the, uh, the university. He's going to be um, at Bryant-Denny Stadium. Which means he's not going to be chatting up the coaches or the players in the football complex and poking his head in the film room. It's just not his style to do that anyway, but he's going to be there. He doesn't want to be part of, he doesn't want to play the guy that looks over someone's shoulder, you know, that guy. But he's always going to be open to giving advice when needed. What he's wanting, he says, is to be a resource any way he can for the entire university in a number of ways. Alabama was more than just a football team to him. Alabama University, the University of Alabama is a home, is a culture for him. And he has made it very clear how much Alabama means to him and his family, especially his wife, Terry. But he's not going to be hanging around all the time. But let's be realistic. DeBoer is going to have Saban's immense shadow lurking everywhere whether Saban's physically present or not so best wishes to the Saban family uh, it sounds like he's made the right decision for him um, and his wife is it no age creeps up on you and you just can't hang with the uh, with the younger guys anymore DeBoer's got his hands full of expectations but looking at his record at Washington I think he's gonna be more than up to the challenge all right let's take a look at NFL for a few I talked last week about Black Monday and the major changes of coaching staff. And some of the coaching rumors were flying. One of the big ones was about the New England Patriots head coach, Bill Belichick. Or should I now say former head coach. (sighs) One day after we reported that he and owner Robert Kraft would be having talks. I'm going to say that in quotes, talks. It was announced that Belichick and the Patriots have mutually agreed to part ways. This ends a 24-year run as head coach of the Patriots that saw New England win six Super Bowls, which just unprecedented level of success. But it also ends after the worst season in Belichick's coaching career. The Patriots had an ugly 4-13 record in 2023. This was a season in which the Patriots looked nothing like the Patriots of old. Belichick will get his bust in the Pro Football Hall of Fame someday, but when? We don't know yet. We don't know if he's actually done with coaching. He could find another job with another team if he really wants to. He really instantly became a strong candidate for some of these other head coaching openings. I mean, there are seven head coaching openings right now. Multiple owners are probably going to be really interested and bringing Belichick on board just to give their teams instant credibility. But for the moment, Belichick's out of work. The Patriots were looking for a new head coach. They signed a new one. I'll get to that in a moment. Some of the fans 
are blaming the loss of of Tom Brady as the reason for the downfall of the Patriots. Looking at the numbers, since Brady's departure after the 2019 season, the Patriots have had a record of 29 and 38. Okay, sounds bad. Under Brady, they were 219 to 66 over the course of 20 seasons. They missed the playoffs one time under him. In 2008, he had a back injury, and so they didn't make the playoffs that year. But this season marks New England's fifth consecutive season without a playoff victory. Could say maybe it is time for a coaching change. It could be just that the combination of Brady and Belichick was just magic that you just can't recreate. A unique combination of talent, respect for each other. So I, I'm going to be watching. I, I, I'm check back for with us for updates. I don't know where Belichick's going to end up. If he's going to end up, maybe he's going to take the Saban route and go. You know what? I'm just getting too old for this and retire gracefully retiring you know i had a good run new england was fantastic um i don't know that i can recreate it and i don't know why i want to try and and just you know tarnish my legacy we'll see either way best of luck to coach belichick as for the new england patriots they have gone ahead and they do have a new head coach introduced yesterday at a press conference jared mayo has been announced as the new head coach at Gillette Stadium and becomes the 15th head coach in the franchise history. Mayo is actually a former player. He was drafted by the Patriots in the first round back in 2008 out of Tennessee and spent his entire NFL career in New England before he retired following the 2015 season. Mayo then turned to finance and after his retirement, he served as an executive in finance at a company called Optum as the vice president of business development. Before returning back to the Patriots and started his coaching career as an inside linebackers coach in 2019. Optum gave him the opportunity to learn skills and learn understanding that he was able to master in football and turned himself into this executive working with consumer solutions and so on. So people are saying, okay, well, that career helped him get a really good start in learning how to kind of be a coach. So he's been working for them since 2019. Sorry, he's been working with the Patriots since 2019. So when uh, Bill Belichick decided to retire from the Patriots, they looked to Mayo to step into that role. As for his record, since he joined the Patriots coaching staff, the Patriots have finished in the top 10 in total defense in four of his five seasons, including the last of three. So even though their record pretty much sucked, uh, their defense has been pretty good. Uh, in 2022, their defense ranked uh, the, I think it was eighth in yards allowed and tied for second with San Francisco with 30 total takeaways. So he's got a pretty good record as far as the coach is, is concerned. So this could be a, a good move for New England. You know, promoting internally is never a bad thing to do. So you know what let's let's see what he can do congratulations to coach mayo and let's hope that the patriots have a little bit of a better season they've had in the last five years all right guys it's time to head over to the entertainment news so our first story is um to me, it's a little mind-boggling, and it's it's embarrassing. Not to me. 
It's embarrassing to them. So it's been kind of a rough week for all the folks over at ESPN. First, you've got all this drama between the company and Pat McAfee over Aaron Rodgers getting into it with Jimmy Fallon. Uh, one guy called out longtime ESPN executive Norby Williamson while live on the air. Meanwhile, you've got this other dude committing Disney on Disney crime. And let me check my notes here. Uh, calling out other ESPN executives again live on the air. And now on this past Thursday, the 11th, things got a little bit worse. A new scathing report from The Athletic has revealed that the company, ESPN, concocted a decade-long scheme to secure Emmy trophies for the company's college game day stars. Yes, I'm serious. Let's dive into this one. ESPN has spent more than a decade securing Emmy Awards for its college game day personalities, according to the reporting from The Athletic's Katie Strang. Since at least 2010, according to the report, ESPN has inserted fake names in Emmy entries for the college game day programming. So the company would win these awards get the trophies, and then have them re-engraved and give them to the on-air personalities. Now, Strang says there's no evidence that the personalities knew what was going on. Now, how did ESPN manage to do this? And this is honestly the best part, and it's kind of hilarious when you think about it. The company would create an alias for a personality that they were trying to get an award for, and then they would enter these aliases for awards under the guise of a an associate producer role, and then they'd rake in the win. And then once the win was confirmed and they got the award, they'd redo the, the re-engraving on the statuette and then put the correct name. Here are some of the ones. So for for Kirk Herb Street, they named him Kirk Henry. For Lee Corso, he was nicknamed Lee Clark. Uh, Desmond Howard was, re, was nicknamed Dirk Howard and so on. And this happened like over the course of like 2010, 11, 14, um, there was one in 2008 for Shelly Smith, uh, who was nicknamed Shelly Saunders. Um, she wasn't listed in the 2008 credit list, so we're not sure how exactly she got the award and how that one got announced, but it happened. The big overarching reason, why would they basically cheat the system? The National Academy of Television Arts and Scientists, NATAS, barred on-air personalities from being included on credit lists for television shows in certain categories. So Game Day won an Emmy for Most Outstanding Show eight times between 2008 and 2018. So in that instance, the show's on-air personalities, the hosts, were not eligible to get an Emmy for that award. They could win individuals, but not for the group effort. So they put the fake names in as a way for the show's talent to remain included with the award. So why is this exactly a rule? All right, simple reason. Natas doesn't want on-air talent to be able to win two awards for the same work. They'd be doing what's called double dipping. So think about this. You got Kirk Herbstreet, for example. He won an award for most outstanding show and most outstanding host for his work on game day. 
It just really wouldn't seem fair. So this rule prevents things like this from happening and creates more opportunities for others to get some shine. All right. That being said, what happens next? Well, ESPN did issue an apology and String included it in her report. Quote, some members of our team were clearly wrong in submitting certain names that may go back to 1997 in Emmy categories where they were not eligible for recognition or statuettes. This was a misguided attempt to recognize on-air individuals who were important members of our production team. Once current leadership was made aware, we apologized to Natas for violating guidelines and worked closely with them to completely overhaul our submission process to safeguard against anything like this from happening again, unquote. The Emmy Awards have been revoked from these on-air talents that fraudulently received them. How many? 37. 37 in total. ESPN, they're going to have to live with the embarrassment of this situation for a long, long time. The company deserves that, at the very least. Now, let's talk a little bit about the color purple. It's a very pretty color. It's a favorite of mine. But no, I'm talking about the recent release of the remake of the 1985 film, The Color Purple. This one was released uh, right around Christmas time, I believe. I don't need you to love me. Winfrey is a producer on the new film and this is decades after originating the role of Sophia and earning an Oscar nomination for the 1985 adaptation. Taraji P. Henson stars in the new film as Suge Avery and spent a bulk of her press tour talking about how she had to fight to ensure she got paid fairly and that her castmates had access to simple requests like food, drivers to the set, and more. Interesting. During a recent interview with the New York Times, Henson said that she and her Color Purple co-stars got a lot of stuff on that set because she fought for it behind the scenes. One such example was a ride to the production. Actors were allegedly offered rental cars at first, were expected to drive themselves to set. Okay, I'm rolling my eyes just a tiny little bit, but I do understand that there are certain expectations in Hollywood. I continue. She said, quote, they gave us rental cars, and I was like, I can't drive myself to set in Atlanta. This is insurance liability, and it's dangerous. What do I look like, taking myself to work by myself in a rental car? So I was like, can I get a driver or security to take me? I'm not asking for the moon. And they're like, well, if we do it for you, we've got to do it for everybody. Okay, well, do it for everybody. It's stuff like that, stuff I shouldn't have to fight for, end quote. During a separate cast interview, Danielle Brooks, who took on the role of Sophia, revealed that the actors didn't even initially get their own dressing rooms when they showed up for rehearsals, nor was food provided to them at the time. Henson ended up speaking with Oprah to correct this. And Danielle Brooks said, I remember when we first came, we're doing rehearsals, and they put us all in the same space. We didn't even have our own dressing rooms at the time. We didn't even have our own food. Now, Oprah corrected it for us. The Taraji was our voice, and this was my first studio film. Sometimes you do come in saying, okay, I'll take whatever they give me. I'm just happy to be here. But Taraji spoke up for us. Henson remembered being on the phone with Oprah once word got out that the cast didn't have dressing rooms or the food, and she told the mega producer, hey, we got to fix this. 
Well, now Oprah Winfrey is shutting down any speculation involving an apparent feud with Taraji. And she told Entertainment Tonight, people are saying that I don't that I was not supporting Taraji. And Taraji will tell you herself that I've been the greatest champion of this film, championing not only behind the scenes projection, but also everything else that everybody needed. So whenever I heard that there was something that someone needed, I'm not in charge of the budget because that's Warner Brothers. That's the way the studio system works. We as producers, everybody gets their salary and everybody is negotiated by your team. And so whenever I heard there was an issue or there was a problem and there was a problem with the car or problem with food, I would step in and do whatever I could to make it right. And I believe that Taraji would even vouch for that and say that it was true, unquote. Now, fans are not happy with just the whole idea that the cast didn't get taken care of at the onset. They're kind of like, this should have just been an immediate thing. But now even comedian and actress Monique has decided to speak up and speak out. So while Oprah is praising Taraji Henson from the red carpet of the Golden Globes, Monique was offering her unflattering perspective. She claimed the fact that Oprah could personally resolve these issues was proof that she wasn't standing on business from the start. This next section is a direct quote from Monique. Everything was, didn't I champion for y'all? And I was like, stop it. You didn't champion for those black women for our sisters. What she did was, we can treat them like we always treat them. Who going to check me, boo? I'm Oprah Winfrey. You know everything should have been done when you showed up. Now when you hear our beautiful sister saying, yeah, but it got fixed, it's like we're making it worse. So when Oprah Winfrey sits at the helm and Taraji P. Henson says, it's an honor that we were handpicked for this movie. Well, if they were handpicked for the movie, those women should have been taken care of from the moment go. Oprah got caught. That's what happened, unquote. Now, Monique pretty much doubled down. She's been criticizing Oprah for decades. And so this is just a continuation of that beef. And honestly, this is really, it's kind of disheartening to hear about this kind of infighting. It's kind of strange. I mean, you don't typically hear about the treatment of the the talent on a set. So to hear this, I don't know, it's just it's there's a lot of big name talent. I don't know her entire filmography, uh, Henson's uh, entire filmography. I know her from Hidden Figures. You know, she was a, a an excellent voice actress in the most recent uh Paw Patrol, the Mighty movie that came out, but I mean, big enough of a name to have warranted the, quote, star treatment. I mean, the basic necessities of just, you know, having food on stage to snack. Because, I mean, these actors and actresses can be on set for 10 plus hours. And they can't always step away to go get something or have an assistant to go and get something. And especially if they're filming in Atlanta. Oh, my God. No, you don't want to drive in Atlanta. I don't even want to drive in Atlanta. So I don't blame her for that one. Uh, and I would, you know, if I could have a driver in Atlanta, I'd be be very happy. So it's just, it's kind of mind-boggling. Uh, not anything to do with race. I know Monique brought brought that up and was, was kind of insinuating that it was a racial thing. But I think it's just more of a, it's a humanity thing. So kind of surprising. I mean, I'm very happy to hear that it was taken care of. It's just odd. It's odd that it wasn't taken care of ahead of time, that it wasn't set up ahead of time especially when you have somebody like oprah who has been on a movie set before and should know the basics so but 
enough about that. Uh, hopefully the infighting will will stop. I mean, the, the movie is doing okay at the moment. So, uh, I mean, they've been on the box office for three weeks at this point, The Color Purple. Uh, they came in at number 12 this past weekend. So, uh, they've got a current domestic total of $58 million against a budget of around $100 million. So, not 100% sure if they'll actually break the $100 million mark. Movie's still out. Movie's still at the box office, so they got a chance. Now let's move over and take a look at another movie-related news piece. And this one's going to make some fans pretty happy. Mandalorian fans, rejoice for your chosen one is heading to the big screen. Jon Favreau is directing a new Star Wars movie and it's currently titled The Mandalorian and Grogu and it will go into production a little later this year. Favreau created the Disney Plus series The Mandalorian which follows this helmet-wearing bounty hunter who is played by Pedro Pascal who starts the show on the run to protect a young adorable alien named Grogu, better known by fans as Baby Yoda. But it's unclear where the current upcoming film is going to fit into the timeline of the live-action series. That series has been out for three seasons, and they're currently working on season four right now. The Favreau said in a statement, I have loved telling stories set in this rich world that George Lucas created. So the prospect of bringing the Mandalorian and his apprentice to the big screen is extremely exciting. Now, The Mandalorian and Grogu is the first Star Wars movie in the works that has any sort of momentum anyway, since the 2019 Star Wars Rise of Skywalker, which <sighs> that grossed a billion dollars globally and served as this grand conclusion to the original nine chapter saga, whether we liked it or not. New installments in the space opera series from director Patty Jenkins and Marvel producer Kevin Feige were announced but never came to fruition. In the time since then, Star Wars has launched two more live-action TV shows in the Mando universe, The Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka, and they're coming out with Skeleton Crew a little bit later. Favreau will produce The Mandalorian and Grogu with Lucasfilm president Kathleen Kennedy and Ahsoka creator Dave Filoni. As he's offering guidance on the upcoming film, Filoni will be working on the second season of Ahsoka, starring Rosario Dawson. Disney's release calendar, it's constantly changing. There was an untitled Star Wars movie scheduled for May 22nd of 2026. Another movie, a separate one, um, set for December 18th, 2026. And a third one, opening December 17th of 2027. But Disney hasn't clarified specifics for any of those movies. They're like just little placeholders on the calendar. Now, let's switch over to YouTube. Let's some talk a little bit of influencers. I know. Trust me, I know. But you might want to hear about this one. It's not uncommon to see influencers orchestrating, you know, occasionally wild stunts in the name of going viral. Okay, look at Mr. Beast, for instance. He didn't become YouTube's most subscribed creator without literally burying himself alive for views on top of other wacky content. That was pretty much his big one. Unfortunately, other creators have gotten far less positive press for their wild antics. 
2023, a YouTuber came under fire after fleeing from Japanese police in his bid to cross Japan without spending any money on public trans transit. Yeah, you know, train hopping. But the latest over-the-top stunt going viral on social media is also being labeled pretty crappy after what one man did with the aim of becoming a social media star. Anything for their five seconds of fame. Belgian police have arrested a YouTuber by the name of Yanike for throwing buckets of diverse substances, including paint, feces, and food, onto Metro passengers in Brussels for his channel. Now, videos found on Yanike's channel show the YouTuber filling up a bucket with various elements like beer, water, and dog feces. He'll then hop a train, walk up to an unsuspecting passenger, and empty the bucket contents right onto their heads before making an escape. If only I'd got my hands on him. So Yanike was arrested on January the 2nd on charges of assault and battery, as well as damaging property. A spokesperson for the prosecutor's office claimed that the YouTuber actually confessed to the incident, saying in a press release that videos of these events were posted on social networks with the aim of getting as many likes as possible. Kind of hard to hide your involvement when you post it on your own social media channel. Anyway, Unike has had two complaints filed against him as a result of these pranks, one from one of his victims, onto whom he flung a bucket of poop and oil, as well as one from Brussels Public Transport Company, STIB. Oh, and the company's coming after you. Unike, look, he's just the latest influencer to face legal consequences for his behavior. I mean, we had the, um, the kick streamer Johnny Somali was arrested late 2023 after disrupting a restaurant in Japan. I mean, he's just, he's not alone, and they're just, they're getting worse, and they're, Look at the poop, for heaven's sake. Okay. Well, while we're on the subject of arrest, let's move over to this one. Food Network star Darnell Ferguson, who is better known as Super Chef, has been arrested. According to multiple reports, Ferguson was arrested back on Tuesday, January the 9th, and was held at Louisville Metropolitan in Kentucky. The local news station, WHAS 11, revealed Ferguson was arrested on several major charges, including strangulation, burglary, uh, terroristic threatening, assault, menacing, criminal mischief, mischief, and uh, theft receipt of a stolen credit or debit card. Now, the inmate records suggest he has been since released since this arrest, but this occurred after Ferguson allegedly illegally, illegally entered a woman's house before yelling at her and punching the walls of her home. Then he focused his aggression on her, grabbed her by the neck, strangling her, threatening to kill her. The woman told authorities that she couldn't breathe and she passed out. While she lay on the floor, the woman told police that Ferguson ripped her shorts off and told her that she was his and no one else's, and before leaving the home, he took her credit card and identification. Police took photos of all the red marks and the scratches and marks on her body. The victim has since been identified as his estranged wife, Tadada Ferguson. An emergency protection order has been granted, and Ferguson pleaded not guilty. Now, Ferguson pleaded on January the 10th, the judge lowered his bond from $20,000 down to 10000 
on burglary and strangulation charges. Now, his attorney, Kaserna Tibbs, told the judge the alleged victim and her attorney were in agreement with lowering the bond in part because they shared three kids and Ferguson's needed to help take care of them. In addition, the attorney Tibbs told the judge that the alleged victim has since recanted the allegation that he had strangled her. Assistant Jefferson County Attorney Kristen Southard added it's not unusual for a victim of domestic violence to not cooperate with the prosecution of a case. She said they may think they want to reconcile, but these are very serious allegations and we have concerns recantation, minimizing, well, those are all parts of the cycle of domestic violence, unquote. So if released, Southard asked the judge to put Ferguson on home incarceration. Well, the Jefferson District uh, Court Judge Ann Delahanty said she's just going to treat the case as others with similar charges, set the bond at 10000 He wasn't allowed to have any contact with the alleged victim, and the next scheduled court hearing set for today, January the 18th. Delahanty did not include the home incarceration stipulation, so stay tuned for an update regarding this case. All right, moving on, let's go download the gaming news. Well, sad news all around. Good grief. The layoff train continues. And the biggest one to happen, or at least the most recognized one, happened at Twitch itself. Twitch laid off more than 500 employees, as per Twitch CEO Dan Clancy, reportedly accounting for around 35% of its staff. That's huge. Clancy said, I regret having to share that we are taking the painful step, step to reduce our headcount by just over 500 people across Twitch. This will be a very hard day. And Clancy then went on to his Twitch channel to explain matters. This was back on January the 11th. Now, in the announcement, Clancy noted that Twitch had paid out over $1 billion to streamers last year alone, remarking that while Twitch business remains strong for some time now, the organization has been sized based on where we optimistically expect our business to be in three or four more years not where we're at today so in other words twitch is not profitable right now and it may take another three to five years before they are clancy also went on to say that twitch is no longer going to be signing these big contracts with streamers they're not chasing any big names so the days of dr disrespect and ninja and soda poppin and amaranth and all of these get these massive contracts those days are over. You know, Kit can do it and maintain profitability, go forth. But Twitch has pulled the plug on that. Back in March of 2023, Twitch had actually even cut 400 roles as part of a larger layoff at the parent company of Amazon, where 18,000 people lost their jobs. And additionally, several Twitch executives, including Chief Product Officer Tom Verrilli, Chief Customer Officer Doug Scott, and Chief Content Officer Laura Lee all announced that they were leaving the company. Now remember, last month, the company announced that they were ceasing operations in South Korea, saying prohibitively expensive network fees were causing problems. That service is still set to shut down in the country on February 27th, but 
in the meantime, and this is a developing story, so I don't have all the details yet, somebody is stepping in to try to help those streamers stay active on Twitch. I'm keeping an eye on that story so I can report on it more as more details become available. Amazon also announced they're cutting several hundred more positions across Prime Video and the MGM Studios unit that they have. Another company doing cuts, Discord. I'm sure you, you've, you've heard some of the rumors circulating around the hallways about how we're going to be doing a house cleaning with some of the software people. Well, Bob, I have heard that. you got to do what you got to do. We're going to be getting rid of these people here. Uh... So for their part, Discord has reportedly told their staff they're going to be laying off about 170 employees, which is approximately 17% of its workforce as it seeks to sharpen our focus and bring more agility to our organization. Yay, buzzwords. As reported by The Verge, employees at Discord were informed of the job cuts by CEOs Jason Citron in an all-hands meeting and an accompanying internal email. And while Citron told employees that they should be proud of what we've been able to accomplish together, he said the face also the company had to face some hard truths. He said we grew quickly and we expanded our workforce even faster, increasing by five times since 2020. As a result, we took on more projects and became less efficient in how we operated. Citron went on to say the job cuts were part of the need to sharpen the focus and improve the way we work together to bring more agility to our organization. And while difficult, I am confident that this will put us in the best position to continue building a strong and profitable business that delivers amazing products for our users and supports our mission for years to come. As detailed in Citron's email, those affected by the layoffs are going to receive five months of salary and an additional week for every full year they've been employed at Discord, five further months of benefits, three months of outplacement services, and continuing access to mental well-being and personal growth service, Modern Health, until the end of this year. Additionally, they'll qualify for equity vesting of awards scheduled to vest on 1st of February. That is a pretty nice package, I gotta say. That's pretty generous, considering some of the other packages I've heard. Now, this announcement was followed by Unity making their announcement that they were cutting 1,800 jobs, 25% of their workforce, and that company is saying the cuts came as it is restructuring and refocusing on its core business, and it seeks to position itself for long-term and profitable growth. This is a really rough start to 2024, guys. I mean, look, I get it. The economy is really rough at the moment. Um, and some sectors, they're going to be more affected than others. And we're hearing more and more. Um, actually, Raven was just telling me that he heard Google was doing uh, a layoff coming up here soon or if they've already done it. So as soon as we hear more about that one, I'll report on it. But we did have one other departure announcement that was made last week. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Game Theory. Gaming's tangential learning experience. Beloved gaming YouTuber Matt Pat has announced his retirement from his channel, The Game Theorist. That was made popular for his deep exploration of the intricacies of video game lore and theories. Matthew Patrick has been the host of The Game Theorist for the last 13 years. And at this time, his channel, they've gotten 18.4 million subscribers. It's a pretty big staple in the gaming community of YouTube. Uh, Matt Pat began his theorist journey with the game theorists. They delve pretty deep into the lore of games like Five Nights at Freddy's, Minecraft, etc. And along the way, he went and had expanded into four other unique channels. The film theorist, GT Live, 
the food theorists and style theorists. These channels and theorist media belonging to CEO Matthew and his wife and COO Stephanie Patrick. According to Matthew, the couple has been work first for over a decade and they've successfully grown their channels to approximately, I think it was 42 million subscribers across all the channels. Now, Matt Pat announced back on January 10th that he's stepping down from the channels for a big slew of personal reasons. Officially stepping down March the 9th after nine more theory videos coming out and lots of celebrations. The channels themselves, they're not going away. They're just going to be having some new hosts that have been featured in videos as well as working tirelessly along the business for many years. So these are not new people going to be taking over. It's just Matt is not going to be the main focus anymore. Now, Matthew explained in his announcement video on YouTube, which is entitled Goodbye Internet, he knew his departure was upcoming, which is why he and Stephanie had been working to bring on staff members and had even partnered with a larger company to help keep the channels thriving as they stepped away. Matt Pat said that with content creation, one can either choose when they are finished or inevitably see their hard work, passion, and relevancy fade. And with other YouTubers stepping away from their content, he decided he was going to leave the theorist channels on a high note rather than watch them fade away. Now, Matthew expressed that the biggest reason for stepping down was just to spend more time with his son and to relieve the pressures of incessant work from his family life. The YouTuber also intends to pursue his own creative projects after years of analyzing those of others and assured fans he's going to continue to work behind the scenes of the channels. But regardless of the reason, the game theorist has raised money for charity, showing their heart and that of their dedicated following. So the news of Matthew's retirement was received with a lot of emotion. With a third of his life dedicated to these channels, Matthew's going to leave behind a huge, huge Matt Pat-shaped hole in the gaming community of YouTube. In the last minutes of his video, he gushed about how honored he was to have held such a special place in the childhood and lives of his subscribers. And in a touching, pretty tearful statement, he said, I love you guys. I do. You're not just numbers. You're not just ad impressions. You're not just merch sales. What you have done for me and what I have done for you is special. End quote. Absolutely best of luck to Matthew and Stephanie on their future endeavors. I mean, it's really exciting news for their family as a whole. Sad ones for the fans, but it sounds to me like they're making a smart decision and the best decision for them. All right. I think it's time now to go visit the box office, shall we? It's time for the box office breakdown. Wonka's been holding pretty steady against some strong newcomers lately, but how did it handle the return of the plastics? My name is Regina George And I am a massive dear You may love me, stand and stare at me And these, these are there is a new queen at the box office this week. Paramount's Mean Girls musical ruled the competition with $20 million over the weekend and $32 million through the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday on Monday. Thanks to the enduring love for the original 2004 film, the insanely quotable Touchstone 
that turned October 3rd into a national holiday, Mean Girls is proving the plastics are still box office draws. Now, the movie musical cost just $36 million and was initially commissioned for Paramount Plus before a very enthusiastic test screening convinced the studio to put it up on the big screen. Samantha Jane and Arturo Perez Jr. directed Mean Girls based on the Broadway version of the 2004 movie, with Tina Fey returning to write the screenplay, which has a little bit of a Gen Z polish but remains faithful to the original story about Katie Heron, who returns to the U.S. from Africa navigates the terrifying jungle of high school and gets entangled in a clique consisting of wealthy but insecure Gretchen, sweet but dim-witted Karen, and the Queen Bee, Regina George. Now, speaking of bees, The Beekeeper, an action thriller directed by David, David Ayer, opened in second place with an impressive uh, $16.8 million over the weekend and an estimated $19.1 through Monday. Jason Statham stars in the film as Adam Clay, a former operative who sets out to exact revenge after his friend falls for a ruinous phishing scam and dies by suicide. Well, where's Wonka? Well, the fantasy musical starring Timothy Chalamet as the eccentric fictional chocolatier claimed third place with $11 million during the four-day time frame. Sony's rated our comedy, Anyone But You, keeps climbing the box office. It landed the number four spot with $8.5 million over the long weekend, the film, which costs only $25 million, stars Sidney Sweeney and Glenn Powell, and has rebounded pretty nicely. It got a really slow start in North America. Universal and Illumination's animated comedy, Migration, glided to a fifth-place finish with $6.1 million over the weekend and an estimated $8.3 through the Monday. We've got several new releases coming out this weekend. ISS, which is a new sci-fi thriller where Russian and U.S. astronauts fight to take control of the space station. Remember, in space, no one can hear you scream. Also coming out, Founders Day, where a mayoral election gets messier than usual, and a new romantic comedy with Lucy Hale and Nat Wolf called Which Brings Me to You. Interesting side note. Actor John Gallagher Jr. is starring in both ISS and Which Brings Me to You. Someone has a little bit of a busy weekend coming up, right? We'll report next week how these releases fared. Now, let's go check out some odd news. And now, for something different. We found a lot of animal-heavy stories this week. So, first off, we're going to take you down to Australia, the land down under where the flora and the fauna all just want to kill you. You come from a land down under. So back on January the 12th, a reptile wrangler was called to an Australian home where a mother found one of the world's most venomous snakes in her son's underwear drawer. Melbourne snake catcher Mark Paley, also known as the snake hunter, said he was called to a home where a woman found the five-foot eastern brown snake in her three-year-old's drawer. He shared video showing the moment that he opened the drawer in the boy's bedroom and confirmed the presence of the eastern brown snake, considered the second most venomous species of snake in the world. He says in the video, that's not something you see every day. Well, the reptile wrangler said the serpent hid inside some clothes that the mother had brought in from the clothesline the previous day and ended up just being placed in the drawer with the clothing. All right, 
I don't know about y'all, but my underwear would have been in the wash after that encounter. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? And we call those things nope ropes for a reason. All right, so what about cats? A cat who went missing from her owner's home turned out to have gone on an 800-mile road trip across England and Wales in the engine compartment of a moving van. You mean like on vacay? Let's all go road trip! Laura Teal said her family's 8-year-old Siamese cat, Jasmine, failed to return home for dinner at her Weston Supermare home on the same day that her neighbors moved to Wales. Now, it was two days later that Teal received a call from a veterinarian in Dawlish, England. Jasmine turned out to have crawled into the engine of one of the moving vans parked on the street the day she disappeared and went on a trip from Weston Supermare to Lonelli, back to the driver Jeff Borer's home in Devon. Borer drove the truck the following day for jobs that took him through Exeter, Honington, Bournemouth, and Chippenham. He finally discovered Jasmine under the hood of the vehicle after the feline had been stowing away for about 800 miles. The cat was taken to the vet in Dawlish and scanned for a microchip, which revealed Teal's contact information. Teal said Jasmine was a bit dehydrated from her journey, but was otherwise uninjured. Well, that's pretty awesome to hear. Good grief. That's a long trip. All right. Now let's talk about sharks, but not quite the shark you're thinking of, I'm sure. Winter is definitely upon us, and in an Iowa man's yard, an attraction has gotten people from across the area to come and visit. He built a 20-foot-long shark sculpture out of snow. Carlos Maldonado, who is a sculptor and owner of Carlos Maldonado Artwork in Iowa City, created the five-and-a-half-foot-tall great white shark sculpture from snow with the help of his two sons. He told the Iowa News Now, I looked up snow sculptures. I didn't really want to do anything plain. And when I saw the shark online, I figured I could do that. So I gave it a shot and ended up with this. He said it took about four and a half hours to sculpt the shark and another hour and a half to color it with watered down acrylic paint the following day. Maldonado's photos of his artwork posted online led to an influx of visitors wanting to take pictures with the snow shark. Visitor Anastasia Morton said, My fiancé had seen this online on Facebook and we just thought it was a really good idea to bring our kids out to be able to see what creativity and what they really can do with snow. It will be a really good memory for my kids. Unquote. I love that kind of creativity. I'm going to drop a link down below because the, the shark itself is pretty darn impressive. Hopefully it'll stay up a little bit longer. This snow is not going away anytime soon that I can see. Uh, so he should be able to get a lot of cool visitors to come and check out this uh, great white shark in his front yard. Sharks and cats and snakes. Oh my. A music legend dealing with a brain tumor. We've got some major coaching shakeups in football. Uh, ESPN got caught cheating. It's some movie set drama, a YouTuber getting arrested, some major layoffs, and a new queen at the box office. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. I do want to remind you, I include the links to all of my sources in the comments so you can see what I see and more. 
Also, don't forget to drop us a comment or send us an email if there is a story you want us to cover. Join us next time as we check out the latest in entertainment news. Remember, stay comfy and warm in the starter zone. This is Amanda. Good luck and have fun. Listening to The Starter Zone with Amanda. I am Raven. We thank you for your time and support. Without you, we simply would not be. Please hit that like and subscribe button and visit us on Facebook and Twitter at The Starter Zone. Have we missed something? Have something to say? Leave us a comment or send us audio clips for your chance to be on the show. We invite you to come back for more exciting news and commentary on the world around you. See you next time in the Starter Zone.